Wise men say only fools don't listen to the Through the Eyes of Jesus podcast. Welcome back to the Through the Eyes of Jesus podcast. My name is Isaiah Leininger. Joining me today, as always, is my good friend Walker Howe. And today we've got something special cooked up for y'all. We're very excited about this. It's been a long time coming, and we are very, very excited to have our good friend Jordan Pugh on the show with us. Jordan, go ahead and introduce yourself for those at home. First of all, what an introduction. <laughs> That's how we do it, man. That's how we do it. And brought me back. Um, hey guys, my name is Jordan Pugh. So glad to be here uh, with these guys. Um, I am a also a podcaster. I have a podcast entitled uh When the Scriptures Become Real. We've been doing that for about six years now. It'll be seven uh coming up in the next couple of days. Uh, we're just so thankful just to uh, help people and journey with them to know Christ better. And we would love for you guys to join us and listen uh, as you guys do for this great podcast as well. So appreciate the opportunity to be on with you guys. And I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, me too, man. Uh, like I said, we, this has been a long time coming. We've been looking forward to this for a while now. And we are very excited to have you on the show. Make sure you go ahead and check out Jordan's podcast after this one. Hopefully in the coming weeks, there should be an episode with Walker and I on that show. So if you like us enough to listen to us now, then uh, make sure you go listen to us on Jordan's show as well. And uh, and Jordan, happy anniversary with that with that podcast coming up on seven years. That's terrific. Yeah, man, we're we're thankful. Didn't didn't think it'd last this long, but we're we're just grateful uh, that the Lord's been with us and able to help us out. Absolutely, it's a it's a it's an honor and a blessing to uh, to get to do this. I know Walker and I we've only been doing this for a couple of years. But uh, we've really enjoyed it. We've really grown a lot from it. And I'm sure that you can say the same in your, your journey as well. But enough enough pandering, enough selling out. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's go ahead and get into the episode, shall we? So today we're looking at the idea of the Lord looks on the overlooked. And we really wanted to talk about this, uh, Walker and I especially, as we were preparing for this episode, we, we were talking about how often we overlook people and how easy it is to do so. I know here, even on this, this small campus, this small uh, Christian school where, you know, everyone's supposed to love and respect each other and treat each other the way that God tells us to treat each other. That's not always the case. Right. I, I know several people at the school that are outcasts, that are overlooked, that people just don't spend time with. And I've spent time with some of them and, and others I've not spent any time with at all. But I know that there's a lot of people, myself included sometimes, that feel lonely, that feel overlooked, that feel like an outcast, like feel that they feel like the, the world doesn't care about them, you know, and that, and that happens so much, you know, maybe it's because of the fact that they look different or they, they think differently or they act differently or, or whatever the case is, you know, we, we tend to write people off. We tend to kind of push them to the side if they don't fit in with what we're looking for, if what, with what we consider normal. And, uh, you know, that's just, it's an awful, awful thing to do that to someone. And I know uh, growing up as one of the, the few Christians in a public high school, that's kind of how I felt, you know, very different, very isolated, very much an outcast because I didn't fit in with what the rest of the kids wanted to do and what the rest of the kids were doing. That wasn't my idea of fun. That wasn't something that I wanted to participate in. And so I was kind of a, a social outcast by my own, by my own making at that point. Uh, but of so many other people, they're social outcasts, not because they want to be, but because other people have made that choice for them. Yeah. And a lot of the times these, uh, I guess, people who I've interacted with who oftentimes feel like they've been overlooked, it, um, I think it can stem from the idea that oftentimes we just want to have superficial conversations with people. Um, you know, we, we're very comfortable with going, hey, how you doing? Fine. How are you? And that'd be the extent of our conversation. And And some people do that very genuinely and they do it. Uh, with a sincere heart and they're truly just asking how you're doing and stuff but other people it seems like that's just their go-to response that's their go-to you know this is the question i'm gonna say whenever i uh interact with someone and it's nothing different it's sort of like a robot and it's just over and over and over and over again and there's and it doesn't seem like there's any um i guess uh true feelings or true um caring attitude behind what they're saying and so um and so it can come across as you know, they acknowledge you, but they don't really, I guess, look at you per se. They don't really see who you are. I've, I've heard it said that the most common lie ever told is I'm fine. Yeah. You know, like, like you were saying, Walker, we don't, 
a lot of us, myself included, we don't take the time to truly talk to people. Mm-hmm. You know, we're too caught up in our own little world and, and the things that we've got going on and, and all the things that we need to get done. And, you know, I'll pass somebody, at, you know, here on this campus or I'll pass somebody even in the congregation that I attend, you yeah. know, how, how was your week? Oh, it was good. How was your week? No, oh, you know, it was all right. You know, I, I'm fine. And oftentimes I know that's a lie. You know, I, I haven't been fine. I've been stressed about something or I've been worried about something or, or, you know, something has come up that has brought me some distress mm-hmm. and, you know, people they're satisfied with the, how are you? I'm good. How are you? You know? Yeah. And, and oftentimes if we're not careful, that's all it can be. Yeah. Jordan, how do you see this playing out uh, within your capacity as a minister and um, just interacting with people and whatnot? Yeah. So one of the things that's, um, that's really important. And I think this is, this is stemmed early from me. So I understand where Isaiah is coming from. So growing up, I moved a lot growing up. Mm-hmm. So I was so used to always being the new kid everywhere. And you guys know how it is, right? When you're, when you're at a new school or you're at a, uh, a new place, you kind of just sit by yourself in the corner. You may know a few people here or there, um, but you're, you're just that person there by yourself. And I've never forgotten over, I think the 10 or 12 schools I've been to, I've never forgotten the one person that came up from their table and either invited me to theirs or just came over and sat next to me. And and so this feeling of being overlooked, it's, it's an, it's an important thing for us as not only just ministers, but just as Christians and people trying to be good people is you have to be intentional to keep your eyes open. And I know we're going to look at this from all these examples in scripture today, but opportunities, we pray for it all the time, right? We pray in public or in private, Lord, open up doors, open up opportunities, help us to help people, help us to be blessings for people. But then we kind of just expect it to come to our front door. Most likely not saying that that can't happen, but we have a part to play in that too, right? We have to keep our eyes open and we have to see, man, who's hurting, who's broken, Who's on the ground? Who needs help putting up the pieces again? You know, and that takes some intention. And so the more the more we learn and we and we serve together, you'll start to see that you train your eyes to see people different than how you saw them before. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think about what you were saying about, you know, the, the people who would come up and, and sit with you or invite you to sit with them. And you I mean, I, I don't know exactly how long ago that, that's been for you, but that's been longer than yesterday right and so you know the fact that you still remember that all these years later that stands out to me you know uh lance Mosier, some that we've had on the podcast a couple times he was the 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 minister at the congregation that i I work at for a while Uh, he's always said that you you don't know how many you're you can count the number of seeds in an apple but you can never count the amount of apples in a seed you have no idea how many apples are going to come from that seed. And so just that one small action, you know, who knows how many lives that could change. Mm-hmm. I mean, we look at people like Andrew and John chapter one, where, you know, he was, he was standing with John the Baptist and John the Baptist you know, sees Jesus walking by and he's like, that's the Messiah. That's the dude. Right. Mm-hmm. And Andrew's like, I got to go tell my brother, <laughs> I got to go get Peter. And so he goes and he finds Peter and he says, we have found the Messiah. And he, he brings Peter to Jesus and, he, and Peter gets to know Jesus. And eventually Jesus calls him to be one of his apostles. And from that small action of Andrew going to get his brother, at least 3000 people were saved because of Peter's lesson on Pentecost in Acts chapter two. And I guarantee that was not the only time that Peter said something that impacted people. That's just the only time where we have an exact number, hmm. you know, and, or, or thinking about, uh, the apostle Paul, right. And, and how he was a, a persecutor of Christians. And then in Acts chapter nine, someone taught him the gospel and he became one of, if not the most influential apostles there was. Right? So just that, that small impact, that, that small effort of going out of your way to, to help someone, to look at someone and to, to help someone realize that they're not alone, that can do wonders, not just for them, but for so many people. You know, in their life and in, in other people's lives, that one small act of good can do a lot more than what we realize. Yeah. And, you know, it's amazing how this plays out in scripture, because I think Jesus was the master at this. He was the one who was able to, um, you know, realize whenever people were 
uh, far from him realized whenever people just needed uh, something in their life in order to help, um, you know, respark their energy, respark their commitment, respark whatever it is that they were struggling with in their life. And so um, there's just a few examples throughout the uh, New Testament that we could look at. Of course, we could really look at a lot of examples, but we're only going to address a few today. And then we even have someone in the Old Testament that we can look at and sort of learn um, how we can become better at doing this, where we, we're, we're more intentional about seeking out everybody, not just seeking out people who we're comfortable with, or not just seeking out people who are part of our friend group, maybe, or seeking out people who have the same clicks as us. Like we're willing to go after each and every person that we come in contact with. And whether it's telling them about Jesus or just having a conversation with them um, and just getting to know them a little bit better, um, I believe that it can uh, impact them um, in a lot of ways. And we'll never know that impact. We'll only know it um, if they decide to tell us in the future, but at least um, striving to go out and to have that impact like Jesus did. And so I think a great place to start would be John chapter four with Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and uh, I want to just go ahead and, and read a lot of this passage right now. Uh, we're not, we're not going to read the entire passage because it spans for most of the chapter, but I do want us to read a good portion of it. So I want to start in John chapter four and verse seven, John chapter four and verse seven says, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how was it that you being a Jew asked me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So I want to pause right there and just talk a little bit about the context So Jesus and his apostles traveling through Galilee or traveling through Samaria, which is not something that Jews usually did. Usually they avoided Samaria at all costs. We read there in verse nine, that Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And that's, that's putting it nicely. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. Uh, the Samaritans were uh, sort of the, uh, the half cousins, if you will, of the Jewish people. When, when the Northern kingdom of, of Israel was conquered by Assyria, what Assyria did with their captives they would leave a few of them there who were, you know, from that land, and they would import a ton of other people that they had captured from other places and put them in that new place. So here you would have had Israelites and, and Egyptians and Greeks and, you know, different different places like that. You know, if, if, if the Assyrians conquered Tennessee, right, they would leave some Tennesseans here. They would also bring in some people from Florida, some people from Wisconsin, some people from New York. And people from Arizona just mix and match, bring all these different cultures together. And they did that so that, you know, they these people wouldn't be unified in language or in culture. And so they wouldn't be able to rebel against the Assyrian government. The people that were left in Israel, the, the Israelites, they intermarried with all these other foreign nations that had been brought to Israel by the Assyrians. And that became the Samaritans. So they were half Israeli, half foreigner and both the Jews and the Gentiles, neither side really wanted the Samaritans because they weren't fully Jew or fully Gentile. They were a mix of both. And so the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. The Jews looked down on the Samaritans. They looked at them as, as less than people. So really the whole Samaritan nation was overlooked. Uh, but as, if we keep reading, this woman especially was overlooked. Uh, we know that this she was going out to draw in the middle of the day. Uh, she was, she was going out to, to find water in the middle of the day, and she was going out in the middle of the day when it's the hottest because they wouldn't allow her to do it when everyone else did it. You know, normally in this culture, the women would go out and, and draw some water from the well early in the morning or when the sun is starting to set so that it's not super hot. But this woman had to do it in the middle of the day, and we see why down in verse 17, uh, Jesus and the woman have been talking about about living water, and Jesus in verse 16 says, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. And uh, so basically what's going on here is that, you know, this woman, she's been married five times, and now she's living with another man who's not even her husband. So she's, she's, you know, obviously in a small town like this, word travels fast. And she was looked down upon because of her past, because of her of her life and her choices that she's made. That's why she was out here by herself in the middle of the day. But yet here comes Jesus. 
and he knows this about her. She didn't tell it to him. He knows this about her. She says, you must be some sort of prophet. I didn't tell you this. You must have figured that out on your own. But Jesus looks at her and says, I see you for more than that. You know, his disciples, they came back in verse 27, and, and they're amazed that he had been speaking with the Samaritan woman. Obviously, the Jews and Samaritans, again, had no dealings with each other. And in this time and place, it was very un uncommon for men and women to really speak at all. So there's that double layer of, of you know, overlookedness, if you will, allow me to make up that word. Uh, but then if the disciples knew about her past, like the rest of the town knew about her past, they would be even more horrified that their teacher was talking to her. But yet, this woman, she recognizes who Jesus is. She recognizes the fact that Jesus, you know, isn't going to judge her for her past. Obviously, he's not going to say it's a good thing what she did, but he's not going to judge her for it. He wants to forgive her from it. And here comes the rest of the town. She leaves the water pot there at the well. She goes into the town. And we see in verse 39 that many of the city believed in Jesus because of the woman. She went in and she told everybody about Jesus. And all the town started to believe in him because he looked on the overlooked. Jordan, do you have any thoughts to that? What's interesting here, guys, is as you, as you start specifically the setting again which isaiah mentioned how they were going through samaria but notice again jesus was intentional with what he was doing now obviously we understand the disciples why are we going this way we're not supposed to go this way we're not supposed to see these people like they're they're wretched why are we going this way but then notice what jesus obviously his mindset in verse four it's a simple verse but it's so powerful but he needed to go to Samaria. You see, that that's a different mindset. One thing, J Jesus, obviously, from John 3, 16, yes, he was here to sacrifice, to be, the, to be the sacrificial lamb, to die for our sins. But at the same time, Jesus was flipping the way that we should think about people. So his disciples were thinking the way the world was thinking at the time. But Jesus was thinking the way God wanted them to think. So now he said, look, I have to go there. I need to go. So a, a part of looking at the overlooked is not looking at it like a job. It's looking at it as, no, this is, it. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be looking for these people. I'm supposed to be there. I'm supposed to be teaching these people. Now looking at who she was, it's interesting. Remember that the disciples called Jesus rabbi. They called him teacher. Now it's now it's an interesting thing with a a Jewish rabbi at the time. You're not supposed to talk to a woman in public. It was it was said you weren't even supposed to talk to your wife in public in public if you were a rabbi. And with being a Samaritan, it was a general rule that you were not to accept or drink from a Samaritan cup. And notice what did Jesus ask her? Give me something to drink. So that would have totally freaked her out. Wait, you're not supposed to be asking me this. You're not supposed to be drinking from my cup. Jesus said, I'm different. I'm not the rabbi that you're used to. And so as we go around and teach and help people that are overlooked, that's going to be the beautiful moment that we're going we're gonna to see with people as Christians, as ministers. You're not supposed to do this for me. You're not supposed to care. No one's ever cared enough. No one's ever done this. No one's ever, I know. But just because no one's ever done it doesn't mean no one else will. And that's where we come in as Christians. Well, that's such a great point. And it made me think about those who, um, whenever we may interact with them and we may show them kindness or we may show them the way that Jesus would have us to show them. And they say that, you know, I'm not deserving of this or I don't deserve to be treated this way. Well, yes, you do, because everyone deserves to be treated in the way that Jesus has demonstrated for us in scripture. And, it's interesting that you brought out that, you know, the fact that Jesus was not only intentional, but it's it's not just we shouldn't view this idea of looking on the overlooked as necessarily a to do list. Rather, it should just be who we are as people. Right. It should be who we are as a Christian. And um, and oftentimes I believe that sometimes we get so caught up in checking off things in order to satisfy Christ that we fail to realize that 
a lot of the things that we're required to do as Christians is just supposed to be a part of our everyday life. It's not supposed to be something that's on the to-do list where we check off and say, hey, I've looked on the overlook today. I've accomplished another aspect of Christianity. Like, that's not the case. It's it's supposed to be a part of this lifestyle that God has called us to live. And I think it may even tie back into Romans 12, 1 and 2, living this transformed lifestyle and living different from the world. Because if we're living different from the world, then we're going to, you know, not only show it through um, what we say and um, how we go about living, but we're gonna, we're going to show it in every single aspect of our life. And so um, it, it, it'll be a powerful change. And whenever people see this change within us about us being more intentional about what we're doing and us actually looking out for people, um, then it, it's amazing the type of um, the type of message that that can convey, the type of impact that that can have on somebody. Yeah, and it's just it's so powerful, you know. Yeah. And, and Jordan touched on this earlier a few seconds ago, you know, the idea that this woman was so shocked <laughs> that Jesus would not only speak to her but ask her for something, right? Ask her to do something for him. Mm -hmm. Not just leave me alone, you, you wretched and disgusting woman. I can't be seen with you, but would you mind getting me a, a drink of water? That's a revolutionary. And That's crazy. <laughs> very much yeah. so. Absolutely. And, you know, I just, I think about the fact that, you know, so many people, like Walker was saying, so many people go through life thinking that they don't deserve to be loved, that they don't deserve to be, uh, that they don't deserve to be treated well because of things that they've done or, or, or even just things that have happened to them. And obviously, I mean, none of us deserve anything good. That's why it's called grace, not, you know, not, uh, not deserved. It's, it's not something that we earn the way that God treats us, but because God has loved us so much, he's asked us to, to pass that along and to, to show people that. And I just think of how powerful it is when we show love to people who have never been shown love before. Hmm. When, when someone is, has been told by the world that they don't deserve love, that they're, they're less than a person because they're different, they're not normal, they're overlooked and they're alone and they're an outcast. When we come along and if we do what we're supposed to do and, and intentionally look for them and intentionally sit down with them and, and show them how much we love them, that's life-changing. When, when the world has been has beaten down on someone so much when a Christian comes along, we can and should be the ones to lift them back up. We can and should be the ones to encourage them and to tell them there is someone who loves you and his name is Jesus. And he loved you so much that he was willing to die for you. And that's kind of what he was talking about with the Samaritan woman there talking about how he is the Messiah, how he is the living water, how he is the only one and the only thing I can ever save us from our sin. That's Jesus. Mm. And so we as Christians, we have that responsibility to show people the love of God yeah. and to treat people the way that Jesus would have treated them because that can make incredible impact on some. Yeah. Sometimes, then, you know, we may even feel, oh, I'm sorry, Jordan, did you have something no, no, to say? No, you're good. I, I just wanted to throw a concept here from Luke 15. When we do that mm. for people, what you guys are saying they remember that little stuff. Just like I said in our intro as yeah. we enter the podcast, I re still remember those people that have done that. The power of remembrance is so it's it's so amazing because in Luke 15, remember when the prodigal son left his father? And as he leaves his father, the text never mentions or indicates that the father ran after him or that the father begged for him to come back home. But what's interesting is the father did enough for that son at home that when he was in the mud he remembered his father and so the the power of looking at people intentionally and being the people that christ wants us to be here's the win-win situation for us if they accept it like like the samaritan woman's doing in john 4 that's a blessing and we praise god for that but what if they reject it like the prodigal son did it's still a win because they remember Man, Jordan and Walker and Isaiah, they treated me different. I remember I didn't accept it at the time, but I remember they were the only ones that cared. You see, so it's it's always going to impact somebody. Now, it may linger in how it's going to impact them, but that's why Jesus said, just do it. If you just do it, if you just be the people I want you to be, you might not see the results today, but somebody's going to remember that you were different than this world. It's, 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 a, it's an insane impact that we can have on people. 
Yeah, that, that's a, a beautiful point. Uh, and I never really thought about the prodigal son in that way before, but I mean, you're right. You're absolutely right. His, the son was living far away from home and he remembered the love that his father had for him. Mm-hmm. But I think even more than that, his, his he remembered the love that his father had for even his servants. Right. I mean, the, the, the a big reason why prodigal son decided to return home, he said, you know, even the slaves in my father's house are treated better than this. Mm-hmm. Right. So it may not be how you interact with someone that they remember, but it may be how you interact with someone else. Right. right? They, they may see how I treat someone and think about that when they need someone who can lift them up. Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe there hasn't been a, a situation where I have comforted someone, but maybe they've seen me comfort someone or they've heard about the fact that I've comforted someone. And that can be what comes gets them to come back home. Right. So it doesn't matter just, you know, for that one person that you're talking to. But other people see other people. And so that's going to impact them as well. And so the, the love that we have for God, it is, it's something that changes everything. Mm. And it's so overpowering and so overwhelming that when we truly love people the way that God loves people, when we see people <clears throat> through the eyes of Jesus, quote unquote, <laughs> people are going to remember that. Shameless podcast plug. <laughs> Shameless podcast plug. But the point is... People are going to remember that. Yeah. Just like Jordan was saying, people are going to remember that. That's going to stick in their mind and that's going to drive them crazy. Why did you treat me like that? Why did you treat that person like that? That that doesn't make sense. No one else would have done that. Well, that's what God told me to do. Mm -hmm. That's how Jesus asks us to live. That's how Jesus lived himself. And that's the love that Jesus has for you. And so that is just such a powerful tool when we are trying to evangelize and trying to get people come back home. Uh, and I know the, 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 it's kind of a cliche at this point, but people don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I know we say that all the time, especially here in the church, but that is incredibly true. Mm-hmm. I don't I'm know. I'm not going to care all the scriptures that you can quote. Sorry about that, Jordan. No, I'm not you care can't. all the scriptures you can quote. They're going to care how you treat them. And you guys are going to see this more and more as you podcast and as people, as people start to interact with you, I can't tell you how many messages I've gotten from people that um, the message always starts like this. Hey, I don't know if you remember me, but I remember you when you were here and when you did this. Hey, I need help with this right now. I I haven't seen these people in years. I may not even know them, but they saw something. They saw that you were doing something or you were associated with something. And when people have a need, guys, when people get so low, like this woman is in John 4 and how the prodigal was in John 15, when they get low, your lighthouse as a light, Matthew chapter 5, right? We're supposed to be lights to the world. People will remember how bright your light was. And the only way they can see that brightness sometimes is when their life is so dark. So when they're, man, I remember. So we're essentially lighthouses and we got to be firm. And we're set on a hill, Matthew 5. So when someone needs help, man, there's a lighthouse. There's a lighthouse. There's another one. And so that's why Jesus calls us to be that rescuer that he's constantly for us. It's a, it's a beautiful image. Absolutely. absolutely. And, I, and just for the sake of time, I'm going to suggest that we, we move on to the next example that we wanted to look at. I think this conversation on the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 has been incredibly powerful. The scriptures speak for themselves how Jesus loved and how Jesus treated people. And there's another example of that, a a great example in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, we have the story of the woman who's caught in adultery, Mm. literally caught in the act of having relations with someone who is not her husband. And they bring her to Jesus, and they're they're ready to kill her, as is the old old law, right? That's that's what the old law would have told them to do. Mm. And Jesus looks at them and says, all right, you guys can kill her. She's guilty. There's no question about that. But here's what I want you guys to do. Whoever is perfect, let him be the one to throw the first stone. If any one of you is sinless, let him be the one to throw the first stone. And that really humbles the uh, the Pharisees who bring this woman to Jesus. They're sitting there thinking, Golly gee, Wilkers, I, I can't get up here and throw a rock at this woman because then I'll be claiming to be perfect. And we, we harp on the scribes and the Pharisees a lot 
because admittedly they do it to themselves a lot of times. But I really respect their humility and their wisdom here in this passage, both for wanting to keep the old law, but also for recognizing the fact that they are not perfect and that they cannot be the one to throw the first stone. So I think that's really powerful, but even more powerful maybe is what Jesus says to the woman. When all these men who wanted to kill her realize that they can't be the one to throw the first stone and they leave, Jesus looks at this woman and says, did no one condemn you? And she says, no one, Lord. Jesus says in John chapter 8 and verse 11, I don't condemn you either. Go from now on, sin no more. What's interesting about this passage to me is when Jesus says, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone. The only person who could have thrown a stone was Jesus. He was perfect. He is perfect. And yet this woman who deserved to die by all means, according to the law, Jesus let her go free. But he didn't just let her go free. He told her, you need to change. I love you. I'm not going to condemn you, but you still need to change. What you were doing is not right. And I think that kind of that kind of love where we show people, hey, I'm going to love you no matter what, but I'm not going to support you when you do wrong. That's powerful. It definitely is. And what's even more powerful is that Christ still shows us the same exact treatment that he showed the woman uh, who was caught in the act of adultery um, to us every single day. And he gives us a second chance time and time again. And it doesn't matter whether we've committed the greatest crime in our time, like the woman who was caught in the act of adultery did, or whether we committed what some may view as the most uh, smallest of crimes. But God doesn't have a, a hierarchy on the, the sins that we commit against, and they're all equal in his eyes. He hates sin regardless of what we do. Um, stealing a candy bar is, a, is, a, is equivalent to committing adultery or murdering someone. I mean, it's it's all sin in God's eyes, and so he, he definitely... Uh, does not uh, value or accept one sin over the other, um, and but he does uh, extend forgiveness to all sins, and that is something that is powerful. It's something that we're definitely not deserving of, but you know, it, I guess it just comes a part of this um, mindset of whenever you look on those who may feel overlooked, you begin to do things and um, and give them things that typically um, uh, would would hard to be would be difficult to give and uh, to begin with, but ultimately it, it helps them in the long run and it helps them to keep on going. And I think forgiveness is a big factor in my life that helps me keep on going. It gives me encouragement. It allows me to keep on pushing forward. It allows me to feel like I'm valued because I know that I have another chance to do this and I'm not a complete failure. And so if people have that uh, sense of purpose in their life, knowing that um, they're able to be redeemed whenever they mess up and they're able to have a second chance, they can go a long way. Yeah. It's interesting. Do you have any thoughts? It's interesting as you bring this up um, that her crime was worthy of death. Here's what's, here's what's interesting to me that pops out from John 8 is the text says that they caught her in the act, verse 4. So, again, understanding what we said in John 4 about women at the time and how they were viewed, if she was caught in the act and they were willing to condemn her, why would they not bring the other guys that she was with? Cause they were guilty too. So, so again, this is, this is the concept of the, almost the favoritism here that they were saying, look, she's caught in the act. So there's gotta be some type of judgment. See, again, that's, that's where Jesus came in too. And what's interesting guys is obviously the, the text doesn't imply this, but I've heard this before and it's just interesting thought to chew on in verse six, when Jesus was on the ground and we don't know what he was writing, right? We had, we don't know what he was writing. But there's been suggestions that as everyone has a stone and ready to stone this woman, it's suggested that Jesus possibly could have been riding down. Because remember, as, as was mentioned, he was perfect. He was potentially riding down. I've known what you've done. I've known what you've done. I've known your acts. So when they see their name written on the ground, they put that rock down and walk away because they know they're guilty. Now, that's an interesting picture for you to chew on, but as you think about it, just the mercy of Jesus and the love that he had for her, 
And it's mercy to say, yes, I forgive. But it's also love to say, look, there's a better way. And that's why he ended in verse 12. I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So he's literally giving her a new life as he gives us a new life too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and not, not only a new life, but a new chance at life, right? He's saying, yeah. go change your ways. Don't, don't go back to what brought you here today. Be changed. You know, I think about some of the things that are going on in our, in all, in our culture today, where, you know, so many things that are sinful are being promoted and accepted and even praised and rewarded. Think about the love that we as Christians should have for those people who maybe mistakenly are a part of those communities or even knowingly are part of those communities. The love that we as Christians can have for them can bring them home, can bring them out of that lifestyle. And, you know, again, we, we can't stand up here and say that what they're doing is right, just like what Jesus did here. You know, he didn't tell this woman that she's okay, that she can keep doing what she was doing. She's fine. There's no consequences for her actions. He didn't say that. What he did say is, I love you, but I don't love what you're doing. All right, the, the old adage, hate the sin, love the sinner. Don't, don't, don't hate the person who's, who's caught up in the tricks of Satan. Hate Satan, but don't hate the person. Hate the thing that they're doing, but love them. And show them that you love them, even when they hurt you, even when they do things that they shouldn't. Show them the love. I, again, just the love of God is so powerful, so overwhelming, it changes people. That's the whole point of God's love is to change people is to get them to, to realize how much love he has for them. I think Walker referenced uh, Romans 12 earlier when we looked at John four, but I love how Romans 12 ends, obviously understanding all the way back from chapter one of the things that the Lord just gave them up to, because that's what they wanted, right? That, that this is the type of life that they wanted to live. But the encouragement that's given at the end of Romans 12, beginning verse 21, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So it's the same. And this uh, John 8 is a perfect picture of Jesus doing exactly that. He didn't, he was never overcome with evil, but he always overcame that with the love of God, as we should. Absolutely. And just, you know, God's love is, is so powerful. It's, uh, it's, it's amazing. And again, like we said earlier, it's not something that we deserve. You know, it's not, God doesn't have to love us. We, we have rejected him. We have despised him. We have rebelled against him and his law, but God still chooses to love us anyway. And when we are able to recognize that nothing on this earth will separate us from God's love, that's powerful. Yeah. And I, you know, we read that in Romans chapter eight towards the end of the chapter. And I just, you know, every time I read that passage, I think about the fact that people have chosen to separate themselves from God's love. Hmm. And even then God still loves them. I mean, even, even the people who have been lost for all eternity, who have lived their life in a sinful way and have, have passed on, have neglected the chance to take Jesus up on his salvation that he's offering even the people that are going to perish in all eternity, God still loves them because Jesus died for everyone. He died to give everyone that chance to go to heaven if they are faithful. And so, again, God's love is so incredible. It's so overwhelming. And we see that in John 4 with the, the Samaritan woman. See that in, in, in John 8 here with the woman caught in adultery. But, uh, we also see it in Luke chapter 7, which is the last New Testament example we want to look at today obviously as walker said earlier there are so many different passages that we could look at or you know times where jesus interacted with with lepers with the lame with the blind with the woman who had the flow of blood i mean we could sit here all day and talk about the different people who were considered outcasts in jewish society whether they were you know sick or disabled or just a different gender or different ethnicity Whatever the case is, we can sit here and talk all day long about different people that Jesus 
looked at with love when the rest of the world turned their nose at. But I, I want us to, to look at Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36, we read a, a passage where one of the Pharisees, a man by the name of Simon, invited Jesus to eat at his table. And so Jesus accepts this invitation, and, and Simon and Jesus and, and some of Jesus' followers are there, and they're, they're eating together. And then all of a sudden, this, this woman kind of bursts into Simon's home, and she is, she's weeping. She is, uh, she's wiping Jesus' feet with her tears and, and, and cleaning it off with her hair. She's anointing his feet with this expensive perfume. And, you know, Simon's just sitting here thinking to himself, golly, gee, Wilkers, I know who that woman is. And he, he refers to her as the sinful woman a couple times in this passage. And we don't know exactly what her sin was, but it's evident that Simon knew what her sin was or at the very least knew what kind of life she was living. And Simon's sitting there thinking to himself, if Jesus really was who he said he was, he wouldn't let this woman come near him. He wouldn't let her touch him because she is disgusting. She is unworthy to be near him. She is vile. If Jesus truly was who he said he was, he wouldn't be near this woman. His reputation is going to go downhill because of this woman. And he's thinking that inside his head. Jesus hears him because he's God and he knows everything. And he tells Simon this story. He talks about this, this guy who was owed a lot of money. These, these two men both owed this one man a lot of money. And one man owed 100, uh, or excuse me, 500 denarii and the other 50. And the way I understand it, a denarius is about a day's wages. So whatever you would make in a day, one guy had to pay 50 times that, one guy had to pay 500 times that. And neither one of them were able to pay this debt. And yet this man graciously forgave them both. And Jesus asked Simon, which one do you think loved this man more? The one who owed 500 or the one who owed 50? And Simon says, well, I reckon it's the one who owed more. And Jesus said, you're right. And he turns to this woman. He says, Simon, do you see this woman? She has not stopped to serve me and to help me since she got here. What have you done for me? You didn't anoint my head. You didn't uh, give me water to wash my feet. You didn't kiss me when I come in. You've, you've not done anything for me. And yet here's this woman who has not stopped to, to wash my feet with her tears and to wipe my feet with her hair and to anoint me with oil. She's not stopped. She's still serving me. So she's still helping me. He turns to her and says, your sins are forgiven. He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Simon was thinking about this woman in the way that a lot of people would have thought about her. Again, we don't know exactly what her, her sin was. I've heard it suggested that she's a prostitute, but that's just speculation. The point is, everyone who knew this woman knew the lifestyle that she led and the fact that that lifestyle was not godly in any sense of the word. And this woman knew that. And yet when she comes in and she's, she's weeping and she's, she's offering up this, this action as a sign of repentance towards Jesus, Simon's sitting there thinking to himself, man, this girl is nasty. Why is Jesus allowing her to be near him? Because Simon was looking at her through the eyes of the world, but Jesus looked at her differently. He saw her differently, and he loved her differently. This woman was an outcast. She was overlooked. Because of her lifestyle, Simon thought she was about the worst person on earth. But Jesus says, I love you. And you're, you're welcome with me. I'm not going to kick you out. I'm not going to shun you. I'm not going to hide the fact that I know you when other people come in. I think about Peter and, and the, the, the hypocrisy that he was living in. And even convinced people like Barnabas to participate in that Paul had to call him out on. I think it was in Galatians. Where, where Peter was acting one way with, with Gentiles, and then when Jews came into the room, he would act differently, and he would treat them harshly. Paul calls him out for that, for that hypocrisy. Jesus isn't doing that. Jesus says, I don't care what other people say about you. I love you. 
and I'm going to forgive your sins. I'm going to tell you, go. Not to go back to that lifestyle like we were talking about with the woman caught in adultery, but to be faithful and to love people the way that she was just loved. The story, it's one of my favorites. It's the, the, the attitude of Simon is something that I can feel myself doing a lot more often than I would care to admit. Or I look at people and I judge them based on what I know about them, based on what I've seen from them, based on what I've heard about them. But Jesus looks at their heart. Jesus looks at this woman who is repentful and sorrowful about the way that she's living says, I love you. That's the attitude that we need to have. We need to remember that no one is too far gone. There's no one who is unredeemable. That God loves everyone enough to save them, even me and even the person that I don't think is. Isn't love- it amazing how, oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 you got it. Uh, I was going to say, isn't it amazing how, um, Oftentimes, we uh, tend to write off someone immediately after they commit one wrong action against either us or someone else, and we hear about this terrible thing that they've done, and we immediately then just, uh, you know, deem them as this terrible person, as someone who, you know, has committed this unforeseeable act. And with these two previous stories that we talked about with the woman who was caught in adultery and the story of the sinful woman, uh, it shows that uh, if we're really going to be a one who has the heart of Jesus, one who's living in the Christian way, it, it it requires us to realize that one action does not define someone, because I'm sure each and every one of us listening to the podcast would not want someone to judge us based upon one action that we've done or to determine our character based upon one uh one mess up that we've had in our life that it would not be fair to us for someone to define us in that way. But I get, but oftentimes I may find myself doing the exact same thing where I, where I judge someone's character, I define who they are based upon one mistake that they made in their life. And I think uh, one of the points that maybe we could grab from the story of the simple woman and the story of the woman who was caught in adultery is that um, one mistake doesn't necessarily define who you are, but it's what you do after that mistake that shows who you are. It's what you do to grow and to um, become a better person after that mistake. It's what you do in order to improve your relationship, not only not only with the people around you, but with your relationship with God. And so understanding this power of forgiveness, understanding that God still looks at you, even though you feel overlooked, should cause us to not only have this deep and intimate relationship with him, but it should cause us to uh, appreciate the value of forgiveness that he extends to us on the uh, day-to-day basis Jordan. yeah I, I like how the how the account describes simon and his attitude towards her in the beginning and the more you look at it you can see from verse to verse from 36 to 39 just the hatred in his heart building up for this woman intruding on what he's doing with jesus and then not only intruding but he knows the type of person that she is and it's interesting I love verse 40. It's beautiful, but it's also scary at the same, in the same word, in the same tense, because Jesus answered and said to Simon, I have something to say to you. What's interesting for some really good application for us, when we have the same attitude that Simon had towards anyone, it's, it's a scary thing that Jesus could say the same thing to us. Jordan, you know, I got something to say to you. This is not right. What you're doing. Your attitude's not right. You know, I'm reminded of what Jesus himself had to say to the congregation at Ephesus in in Ephesians or in Revelation chapter 2. He's telling that congregation at Ephesus, you're doing all these things. You've you've taught all this doctrine correctly. You're, You're taking false apostles out. But he said, but I have one thing against you. You've lost your first love. You see, this right here is the motivation and the engine that drives everything that we are as Christians to follow Christ. And when that piece of us is gone, Jesus sees when that piece is gone. So we had to remind the congregation Ephesus, the good works that you're doing is wonderful, but you lost the engine. You lost the love. Simon, 
I'm sure Jesus was thankful for being in Simon's home. But Simon, I, I still got something to teach you. You're still missing something. And sometimes that can be us today. You're doing great things. You're you're teaching people. You're learning about Christ. You're doing all these things. But where's your love at? Don't don't lose that. And one thing that we can take from this text is this woman was overlooked, but Jesus was teaching his disciples and Simon, don't overlook this and don't lose your love for people. I think that's a great point, Jordan. And you know, while you were talking, I was I was reminded of First Corinthians chapter thirteen. Of course, yeah. is is the love chapter, right? Obviously, within the context of First Corinthians, we know that Paul is talking about love as the greatest spiritual gift of all, and that the church at Corinth shouldn't be so focused on on these other spiritual gifts, but that they needed to be focused on love because that was the best and most important spiritual gift that anyone could ever show anyone else. And in the beginning of chapter thirteen, he says, "If I speak with the tongues of men and and of angels, but do not have love," I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. So you can say all the right things and know all the right things and do all the right things, just like the church at Ephesus. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have love, it doesn't mean anything. And so this whole episode, really, I don't know if this was the point that we were wanting to make when we started this episode, but at least the point that I'm noticing is just how incredible God's love is. Hmm. And the fact that love truly is, like, like Jordan said, the engine behind what we do. And if the engine isn't working, the car doesn't go anywhere, right? You know, I, I, my car broke down a while back uh, you know, on the side of the road. I don't remember exactly what was wrong with it now. It's been a while, but the point is my engine wasn't working or something in my engine wasn't working. And so my car, it wasn't going to go anywhere. Thankfully, I knew someone who was able to come and, and, and pick me up and give me a ride, you know, help me fix my car and all that. But without love, we go nowhere and we do nothing. We need love and we need to love in the same way that God loves us selflessness with with purity and without any you know behind the scenes motives or, or hidden motives just love wanting the best for someone because it's what's best for them and again we we, we see this in in jesus's life with all these people that we've looked at today with samaritan woman and the woman caught in adultery and sinful woman and again we can we can sit here and talk about the lepers and the blind and the lame and the the sinful and the outcast and, and so many different instances where Jesus loved people that the world deemed unlovable, that Jesus spoke to people that the world deemed as must be avoided. And we looked at how Jesus loved people and looked at people in a way that no one else did. Like Jordan said earlier, it's revolutionary. It changes everything. But as Walker mentioned earlier, there's also an example from the Old Testament that we want to look at. And it's one that I know I hadn't personally thought of this way until it was brought up when we first started planning this episode, but that's the story of Leah. And Jordan, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you and let you take this one. So this one is, is it's special because of the, the background of, of Jacob and Esau, understanding that Esau wanted to kill Jacob because of taking his birthright. So he was sent to his uncle's home. His uncle was Laban. So we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 29 and we see uh, Jacob with Rachel and he loves her. Uh, there's obviously a bond there, but Laban does what Jacob did to his brother and tricks him. So now he has to work an additional seven years to work for the girl that he wants. So we see Jacob, we see Esau, we see Laban, we see Rachel, but the person that gets forgotten a lot in Genesis 29 is Leah. The only description we really have of Leah was she was just she was tender eyed, but she wasn't the one that was wanted. So imagine on the wedding day, Jacob's there and he unveils her and it's not the right. It's not the right girl. How does that how does that make Leah feel? And so the Lord sees that and the Lord understands, man, her sister is wanted more than her. And I, and I love the imagery of what God gives us. 
um, with Jacob here and, and, and Leah. So if we look at the text here, so in Genesis chapter 29, it, it's a beautiful image beginning in verse 31. Notice how simple but beautiful this is. And when the Lord saw, again, there's our overlook there. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened up her womb, but Rachel was barren. Guys, it's a beautiful image. This is literally painted and sprinkled all throughout Scripture. It's it's here again in the book of Genesis, I believe it's chapter 16 through 19 with Hagar. Hagar is kicked out. As she's kicked out and has Ishmael, she says, the Lord is the God who sees. And God saw her. And it, guys, there's no better feeling in the world when you see someone, and Leah could be that example, Hagar could be that example, you might be that example as you're listening. You see somebody or you learn about them or you befriend someone and something in their life is completely broken. And they're on the ground by themselves picking up the pieces. It is a special thing for a person like that to know that, number one, the Lord sees that. And then number two, it's a special thing when a Christian who serves the Lord sees that and they're on the ground with you helping you to pick up the pieces. Rachel is wanted. Leah's not wanted. Who's on the ground with Leah picking up the pieces? God's there. Hagar wasn't wanted. Who's on the ground picking up the pieces with her? And isn't it interesting that all these examples we brought up today from the Old and New Testament, all of them were women? Overlooked? And again, guys, this is a, just a quick side note, and I'll pass it to you guys. Here's something that we can learn as men from God. The beautiful thing about what our God does and what Jesus did when he was here, Jesus and God, they saw women differently than the world saw them. They took the time to understand their hearts. They took the time to love them. They took the time to see them and acknowledge them. They took the time to learn with them, to teach them as men, those that we are dating, our wives, our mothers, our sisters, the women at the congregation. It's a different mindset when we have the eyes of God, guys, as guys. We got to see people, feel where they are, understand how we can serve them because Jesus did. And isn't it interesting that all throughout the Old Testament, Jesus and the church is referenced as husband and wife, and God in Israel is always referenced as husband and wife. If you want to know how to be a good husband, look at how God sees these women. He's on the ground with them because he sees them. They're never overlooked. And God always makes them feel like they're the most important thing in the world. And that's something that we can see from God's eyes, guys. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, a beautiful point. Uh, it just the fact that God is going to be there, that God is going to see everything that we go through. It's insane when you think about it the fact that the god of the universe who who spoke the very earth that we're living on into existence because he willed it to be there it was there and everything that he created was perfect he has to put it lightly a lot in his plate but yet he still cares about me some young guy living in a small town in tennessee who is not going to be someone who most likely, you know, is going to be known by a lot of people. He's not going to be on TV. He's not going to be, you know, running for public office. He's not going to be, uh, you know, in the magazines, but yet he cares about me. Hmm. He cares about the things that I'm going through. He cares about where I've been. He cares about where I'm going to be. And you know, we, we talk about the story of Jacob and I'm reminded of, of a verse in scripture that I, I just love. And it's one that I don't know how many people actually will stop and think about, but it's Genesis chapter 35 and verse three. Of course, at this point in, in the story, Jacob has, has left the house of Laban with Leah and with Rachel and with flocks and with sons. And they're going back to Bethel. They're on their way to uh, his homeland to be reunited with Esau. We see that connection back Again, uh, I believe it's chapter 36, where the, the two brothers are, are reconnected. 
or sorry, it's 33. They're reconnected back in 33. But the point is, Jacob is told in verse 1 by God to go up to Bethel to make an to make an altar there from where you fled from Esau. And Jacob goes to his household and says, put away the foreign gods which are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Right? So get ready. We're changing some things around here. Why? Verse 3, it says, let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar, an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. I love verse 3. God answers me in the day of my distress, and he has been with me wherever I have gone. No matter what happened to Jacob with all the deception of Laban and the, uh, the, the hatred from Esau and, and all of these things, God was always with him because God loved him. And even more than that, God loved me. You know, how am I connected to the story of Jacob? Well, because through Jacob came Judah, through Judah came David, and through David came Christ. God was protecting Jacob because he was protecting the ancestor of the Messiah so that I could be saved from my sin. God was looking out for me. God was with Jacob, yes, but he was also looking out for, for me. He was with Jacob. He was there for him in the moment. Just like Jordan said, he was down there in the dirt picking up the pieces of Jacob's life. But he also had a plan. He had a plan for Jacob. He had a plan for Jacob's children. He needed a plan leading all the way to me and going either, even farther than I will ever go. And so when we talk about the fact that the Lord looks on the overlooked, not only does the God look on those who are cast down and cast out by the world. Not only does he look on them, but he has compassion on them. He loves them, and he has a plan for what's best for them in their lives. That's love. Yeah. That's crazy, incredible, powerful love. I know that I've been impacted by this episode, um, and I know that this episode has really, um, I guess, spoke to me in a lot of ways and uh and helped me um understand uh, not only the way that i should be living for jesus and the things that i should be doing differently but also it gives me a little bit of encouragement to hear um not only uh, what scripture has to say but what uh, isaiah has said what jordan has said and how um whenever we do feel overlooked how we are um to respond to that and how we are to um how, what we are to remember in the times that we feel like no one is looking out for us, because even whenever the world may, uh, be overlooking us, there's one person who does not overlook us, and that is God, and he's always looking out for us, and he's always there, and he will uh, never, uh, he's there during our baddest moments. The question is, is where are we? And if we feel distant from God, it's because it's not because he's left us, it's because we've left him and we need to return back to him. And so I'm thankful for Isaiah's insight. I'm thankful for Jordan's insight and him being willing to come on the show today. Uh, it has been um, a blessing in my life, and I hope it's been a blessing in your life as well. Isaiah, Jordan, any final thoughts before we wrap up the episode? Just keep doing what you guys are doing, man. Just with, with what we're talking about today podcasting is it's new but it's still a little a little different from uh different forms of evangelism that we've done in the past but i mean you guys have no idea who you're helping you might be helping that one person who needs it and the impact of what you can do through the lord's help it's it's incredible and the stuff that i've been able to see with podcasting with myself and with guys like you to see how this can uh impact people is it's incredible. So just know that what you guys are doing, whether you have one listener, whether you have a thousand listeners, you you just have no idea how this is helping people. So just keep doing, keep doing the work, guys. Keep being the light that you guys are doing. And uh, I'm proud of, of, of what you guys are doing, man. Appreciate you guys. Yeah, we appreciate you too, brother. We thank you so much for being willing to come on the show. Like we said, we've been very, very excited about this episode. And it certainly lived up to the expectations that we had coming into it. Make sure you guys check out Jordan's episode with us on it and all the other episodes that Jordan has done on his show, When the Scriptures Become Real. 
I know uh, the, the episodes that I've listened to have been very, very good. So we strongly encourage you to go listen to Jordan's show. Jordan, we thank you so much again for being here and for your insight and for your contribute, uh, your contribute contribution. contribution. Thank you. <laughs> for someone who does podcasting for a while, you would think I'd be able to talk. But anyway, for all the things that you helped us with in this episode, and uh, Jordan, we look forward to future work with you. And, uh, thank you again so much. Thank you guys at home for, for tuning in, for sticking with us, for being an encouragement to us. We just want you to know that we're here for you. If there's anything that we can do for you, if you, if you want to talk about the scriptures or about anything else at all, just reach out to us. You can find several ways to do that on our website, info, or excuse me, at tteoj.com. You can email us at info at tteoj.com. So there's tons of ways to get in contact with us. We would love to sit down and talk with you about the scriptures, about what's going on in your life. We love you. We're so, so thankful for you. And if there's nothing else that needs to be said, we're going to go, go ahead and close out in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the day that you've given us, for the chance that we've had to be encouraged and comforted by your word, by the things that you and your, your son have done for the people here on this world. Thank you, God, so much for not just being a God who created the universe, but who loves each and every person in it. Thank you, God, so much for not overlooking us, not treating us the way that we probably deserve to be treated as we are sinful and we have broken your law. Thank you, God, so much for your grace and mercy and forgiveness that you extend to us. Lord, I pray that Jordan Walker and myself and all those who listen to this episode will be reminded to keep their eyes open, to look for those who are outcast, to look for those who may not fit in, who may be lonely, who may need someone to be there for them, and help us to be that person who's down there in the dirt, picking up the pieces of their life with them, who's helping them in whatever way that they need. Thank you, God, so much for your love, your compassion, for your wisdom, for the way that you look at people. Help us, God, to look at people the same way that you look at us. In your name we pray. Amen.